0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to Cash's Corner. This week, we're coming at you from a bi-coastal operation. Jan is in South Florida, I'm in Northern California, but we didn't want you to miss this week's loaded episode. Jan, what do we have in store for the team today?
1: It seems like there's just unbelievable amounts of things to cover for you specifically, Cash. Things that are directly (laughs) related to you. So I'm always amazed at what the news cycle can deliver. And I'm really thrilled to be here at this. You know, I think this is our first Coast to coast Cash's corner. Yeah. You know, Florida to California. I mean almost <laughs> literally coast to coast. So this is pretty exciting. Well, you know, let let's start with this. We'll definitely talk about the special masters. The judge has granted it and also kind of said some pretty remarkable things that a lot of us kind of suspected, but mm-hmm. the judge went out and basically laid it out as if you know, as it was. We're gonna look at this new Gen Danchenko filing and what's really interesting about it is that it actually kinda could some problems for the Durham prosecution, actually, uh, and we'll, we'll discuss that. Um, of course, you know something that we didn't cover from a while back was just basically this realization that the FBI uh, uh, appears to have censored the Hunter Biden laptop, and you know Mark Zuckerberg gets on <laughs> Joe Rogan and says, basically, tells us that that's what happened. I mean, it, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing time. There's also, you know, T- agent T-bolt, no longer agent. You know, basically looking at uh, suppressing this uh, Tony Bobulinski whistleblower information, and then to, to round it off, my goodness, this is so much, right? <laughs> <laughs> we, we have we have uh, Hillary Clinton basically saying things about James Comey about James Comey's determinations about her emails. Well, but, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I don't... I'll
0: I'll say it for you because you're too kind. She lied, okay. but we'll okay. get into it. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. Well, listen, let's jump in. I, I think we need to talk about the special master. Everyone is 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 fascinated by this. And frankly, there's been this kind of crazy reaction to it. Like It, it doesn't seem to be an, be an outrageous thing that we should have an impartial investigation into this, right?
0: Yeah. So much to look at right there, right? So most people, um, thanks to last week's show, now know what a special master is and their job and the role of a special master. We'll get back into that. But The significant news is that the judge, Judge Cannon in the Southern District of Florida, ruled to allow a special master to come in. Big ruling, but in my opinion, it totally follows the law and is warranted by the circumstances. As Judge Cannon's order on a special master puts forth more succinctly than I'll be able to say, she basically says this case is so unique, it involves a former precedent, and it also involves such... High-level legal issues, executive privilege, the uh, attorney-client privilege, personal records, all of these things she said have to be done above board. That's why I'm bringing in a special master. And she also had some harsh things to say about the DOJ and their handling and their execution of not just the search warrant itself, but how they went about uh, raiding Mar-a-Lago and what they took.
1: That's actually very interesting in itself that she kind of goes into some detail and says. You know, there's there's things that were seized that you know are suspect. I guess.
0: Yeah. So one, forty plus years of medical records. It looks like. Two, tax documents. Three, attorney-client privilege information. Four, executive privilege information. And if you can believe it, they took clothing. Um, and so the judge, I think rightfully so, has come in and said, you know, search warrants pursuant to the FBI's own operating manual are supposed to be conducted in the least intrusive manner when authorized because a search warrant is, by its definition, an invasion of someone's privacy. Um, And so the FBI is trained to do it without sort of going in there like you see in the movies and breaking glass and throwing people down to the ground. They're supposed to do it professionally and smartly. What the judge is saying, you guys didn't do that. And if that wasn't bad enough, She's basically uh, told the world that the DOJ should have done a better job, not just the FBI. The DOJ took all this stuff and didn't necessarily inform the court directly that it had taken executive privilege materials and attorney client privilege materials and materials that are personal to the President of the United States or President Trump, that is. Last week, we went over what a taint team is you know, the separate walled off group of individuals who have nothing to do with the subject matter of the case, but are reviewing all the other stuff the FBI collected at Mar-a-Lago, and they're supposed to be doing it because it's supposed to be an above-board operation. Well, the judge basically said, why didn't the Taint team um, turn this material back over to President Trump? It has absolutely nothing to do with the search warrant. It has nothing to do with the alleged crimes that are outlined by the FBI, DOJ, and the search warrant. And so basically what the judge is saying is, I... As an Article III court officer, the judge, do not trust you, the FBI and DOJ, based on your own conduct and based upon the warrants uh, that you applied for and executed. That is a shocking revelation and a shocking sort of dart that the judge is throwing at them. But I think it speaks to the truth, Jan, that what we've been talking about, that this entire operation was politicized from the beginning. And anybody that used to be a former federal prosecutor like myself knows that There was a hundred different ways to handle this, not going in there and taking grandmother's pearls and everything else, having an actual taint team that is walled off that returns property that should never have been seized in the first place. And so now the judge is going to be on this with a keen eye as if she already wasn't. And I think uh, what'll happen in the coming days is that both sides, the Department of Justice and President Trump's team will recommend special masters they feel are up to the task And the judge doesn't necessarily have to go with those picks, but I think it's the appropriate step because what she's saying is, hey, you guys should be allowed to participate in this conversation of a special master. Let me know what your thoughts are. And it'll be very telling to see what both sides come up with. Are they going to come up with politicized hacks? Are they going to come up with people who have historic backgrounds in prosecutions, in national security cases, in types of matters of high sensitivity? We'll see. But um, I think you mentioned something about you know the, uh, the, the the birds chirping in the fake news media about this as well.
1: Let me ask you this, okay? So one of the theories that I've heard about the whole RussiaGate fiasco is that you know basically when these investigations were begun and you know they, they knew very very early on that you know there there was really nothing there, right? That it was kind of a actually a fishing expedition that they were sure in their minds that they would find something if they dig enough. Right. Sort of picking up all this material that that seems to be uh, unnecessary makes me think of that, actually, kind of kind of
0: a fishing expedition. What do you think? Well, look, I've said that from the beginning, that all roads lead to Russiagate. And I've said that because we've proven it over and over and over again. Be it the same government gangsters at the FBI and DOJ that authorized the Russiagate investigation or were involved in Hunter Biden's laptop or were involved in the impeachment fiasco or were involved in now the raid you see the same figures, i.e. Tybalt and company, coming up over and over again. And when you, you know, we covered this extensively in a previous episode, so I won't dive into it, but the Russiagate documents that President Trump declassified, how we've told the world that Devin and I only were able to get out about 60% of our investigation, so 40% was left, and some of it's the most damning information of corruption um, at the FBI and DOJ during Russiagate. We've, we've talked about the FBI and DOJ's impetus in doing this raid. Maybe they thought those documents were down there. I have no idea. I found out about the documents being at Mar-a-Lago when the world did. But I think what you're talking to is that these people are so scared that the rest of the corruption might be exposed from Russiagate six years ago. And the bigger story is that they've allowed it. They, Chris Ray and Merrick Garland have allowed it to be hidden from the American public by sort of igniting and weaponizing the law enforcement and intelligence apparatus of the United States of America, which is, of course, what happened in Russiagate, um, and we come full circle. So we're going to need to see those documents, and I hope this judge uh, works with this special master to give back to President Trump, what he should have, and also publicize to the world when it's shown DOJ and FBI acted unlawfully, unethically, and further corrupted our law enforcement agency.
1: Is it possible to have an entirely impartial special master in the context of such a highly politicized reality?
0: Yes, it is. And, you know, people joked about it on Truth Social, and I think half of them were somewhat serious. They were like, Cash, you should be the special master. You know, I'm probably not the ideal candidate um, for this one because I have the ability to tell the world that I might have some bias that I can't put aside. But there are individuals out there. I know, I know I did it every day when I served as a DOJ prosecutor or as a public defender or another high-level government official. You have to put aside your biases. That's what your oath says. That's what what's demanded of you in government service. And there are still individuals out there who I think can do that. Um, I'm not going to go out and name names yet and get ahead of it. But I think we should look at the people doing the attacks uh, of the special master. Again, we see the likes of Andrew Weissman coming in and somehow saying, he making a self-declaration that he knows about the law better than anyone else. And let me remind our audience, Andrew Weissman was overturned by the United States Supreme Court, nine to zero in his prosecutions involving Arthur Anderson and Enron. Not five and four, not six and three, not seven and two, not eight and one, nine to zero. And they stunningly reversed those convictions of Andrew Weissman when he was at DOJ because they said, He basically acted unlawfully, unethically, and violated due process. This man is coming out and leading the fake news charge that they are somehow surprised and disappointed that a special master was uh, appointed, even though we've already just outlined so many reasons why the judge lawfully and correctly made that decision. So I encourage our audience to, you know, when you see the naysayers and say, oh my God, I'm shocked, it's not a coincidence that they all happen to be people who are involved, with hating Trump from day one and or involved with the corrupt practices of the FBI and DOJ that Devin and I exposed during Russiagate.
1: You would think that they may just kind of lie low, you know, in this sort of situation.
0: You know, Jan, that would be the smart play from them because it's not like this judge doesn't see the media and read about it. She's very informed. And what they can't resist is the same temptation that the FBI can't resist. It's their own arrogance. It's their own arrogance that has always led them to breaking the law, to publicizing disinformation campaigns through the fake news media and co-opting the FBI and DOJ. Their arrogance was what led to Russiagate, but their arrogance is also what led to the exposure of the corruption from Russiagate. And I believe that same arrogance will lead, their, uh, will lead the exposure of their corruption in the Mar-a-Lago raid and the special masters just... Step one in what we've always said is going to be a lengthy process in court.
1: Well, we've got a natural transition here, right into the Danchenko, this new Danchenko filing, which I know, which I know you've been looking at. It highlights that the FBI knew uh, in 2017 that the Steele dossier was, you know, basically fabricated, that it was a farce. Um, it, but it also says a lot more than this. You know, Hans Manki, as again, I, I often reference him as um, has been writing about it, it might actually create some problems for, for uh, Durham's plan actually in the prosecution.
0: I saw Hans uh, reporting and, you know, he, he's, uh, he's an excellent journalist. I don't see this causing any problems for John Durham. And let me back it up a little bit on Danchenko. Here's why. A, um, technically there is no real rule in the federal rules of criminal procedure to file a motion to dismiss. It is a big part of state court proceedings in many states, but the federal judiciary operates differently. I know that from my days as a public defender and as a national security prosecutor. So what happens is these folks, these defense counsels file these motions to dismiss that are more of like a summary of what's coming because it's not the appropriate time in the federal rules to file a motion to dismiss at this juncture. It comes much, much, much later during the trial proceedings itself. And so what John Durham's now able to do is what I believe he'll do is smartly reply to the motion to dismiss and put out more information to the public showing not only why the motion to, to dismiss should be denied, but more of the evidence, which is always good for us wanting to more know more what John Durham knows about why Danchenko is guilty. And I think, um, you know, the motion to dismiss is, is you know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty weak. It talks about, you know, the use of specific verbiage and i'll let the readers dive into hans's article and the pleading itself to get into that that well, the, that does not and
1: hans has comes to the similar conclusion to you he doesn't think this is going to convince any jury uh right
0: yeah it's not even a jury right it's the judge the motion to dismiss will be ultimately heard by the judge and and he'll just say, um, you know, no dice. Um, You know, we're going forward to trial. I don't blame the defense in the Danchenko case for trying this maneuver. Uh, Of course, they're doing their best job to represent him um, um, zealously, and that's their job. But I just don't see it working. The other thing that I found very surprising from this motion to dismiss was the revelation um, in court pleadings by the Danchenko team that the FBI knew the Steele dossier was total BS in January of 2017. I just want our viewers to pause on that for a second. You now have the source, the number one source of the Steele dossier, pleading in federal court during a criminal investigation of him, telling the world and the judge, essentially under oath, that the Steele dossier was BS, I was its main source, and I told the FBI that in January of 2016. Now look, go back and look at all the Cash's Corner episodes from Russiagate, and we'll tell you, we've told you repeatedly why we knew, or why we believe the FBI knew that to be the case. But now you have, I mean, this is sort of unheard of, Jan, you actually have the FBI's number one source coming forward and sort of shoving it in their face. That revelation to me will hopefully educate so many people about why the connections between Russiagate are still ongoing, why the corruption is so deep, and why people in the FBI must be held accountable for lying to a federal court back then, utilizing the Steele dossier falsely to surveil a president or a presidential candidate at the time.
1: Comey could have told Trump this in 2017. This is one of the things that that uh, Hans notes and, you know, imagine how that history would be different today.
0: Well, that's just right. You know, James Comey, is, he, he never shies away from a camera when it suits his political narrative. And so, and he's no stupid man. He's a very smart man. So there's a reason why he didn't say this. It's because he wanted to hide it from the world. And he hijacked the mainstream media to puppet out another disinformation campaign to say everything was done above board. Now we have multiple investigations that show, not only was it not above board, but there were so many errors that the search warrants in the Russiagate investigation should never have been authorized. And two of them were invalidated, rescinded by the FISC, the FISA search warrant court. And that has also almost never happened in US history. So these things are slowly coming out. You're right, James Comey should have led the charge as the number one law enforcement officer in the country, uh, but he failed intentionally because he wanted to hide his own corruption in advance of political narrative.
1: If I can sort of recap Hans' argument from memory here, he's noting that, you know, that Durham's case is something along the lines of that Danchenko is kind of misleading the FBI, is lying to the FBI. But it seems like the FBI was aware quite early on and was itself, you know, doing problematic things. And that might actually undermine the, the, the prosecution's argument.
0: I think I understand that that reasoning. I don't agree with it. What, they're, what Durham's going to say is we're not that FBI. I'm a special counsel. I'm not using these FBI agents. I'm not using the U.S. United States attorneys that were on that case. There's a reason I was appointed special counsel. And the reason is what Danchenko said, that there was so much corruption at the FBI that I, John Durham, had to be appointed to investigate it. And as a result of that investigation, we found out that Danchenko lied to the government. And so we have to bring this prosecution. I think it's a pretty simple and straightforward answer um, that John Durham can bring powerfully uh, through court pleadings, which I think you'll see in the next few weeks.
1: Well, so let's jump to, you know, Hunter Biden laptop censorship. I mean, wasn't it just such an astounding admission from Mark Zuckerberg on Joe Rogan. I mean, I was honestly, when that clip first came to me, that's where I found out about it. I was just kind of like, wow, (laughs) this is unbelievable stuff. I mean. And we we haven't had a chance to talk about it because there's been so many things on the show up to now. But, but what's your reaction?
0: So, yeah, and I have some familiarity with uh, you know Zuckerberg and the Facebook issue dating back to RussiaGate, where we found out and showed the world that Mark Zuckerberg used 400 million dollars to sort of bolster the efficacy or outcomes of the election for Trump opponents. And so there's a hardened trail of evidence that leads back to Zuckerberg. Um, and his involvement in the elections. Now, so it's not surprising to me that he comes out and finally admits the FBI came to him and said, hey, we might need your assistance. There could be some evidence coming down the pipeline. You're the CEO of the largest social media company in the world or one of them. Um, Maybe censor it, wink, wink. And to me, here's where this needs to go, Jan. There is no meeting the FBI takes especially with the CEO of Mark Zuckerberg's level and doesn't document what was said in that meeting in FBI 302s. We've talked about 302s um, before, but it's basically how FBI does its reporting and recording of the conversations they have. Those 302s need to be made public yesterday. Let's see if the FBI is glossing over, yet again, some more of their corruption, because they've come out and basically said, oh, nothing to see here with Mark Zuckerberg's revelation. You know, we were just giving general warnings. Okay, well, your FBI 302 will say that because you're trained to give detailed information when conducting interviews of witnesses and high-level officials, and that has to be recorded with particularity per the FBI manual uh, for special agents. So. Simple. Release the, uh, release the documents. What are they going to say? The Mark Zuckerberg uh, 302s are classified? I mean, you know, this is just another level of their arrogance coming out than their response being in Chris Ray's failure. Because remember, Chris Ray's been director when he's allowed all this cover-up of corruption to continue, which is corruption in and of itself. He could just easily say, here, we met with Mark Zuckerberg, and I'm making it up the date, you know, in January of this year. These agents were in the room. This is who Zuckerberg had in. Here's a summary of the conversation. Mark Zuckerberg clearly thinks it went some other way because he basically said, the FBI came to me and said, we the FBI as the premier law enforcement agency know there's some shady stuff coming down the pike. Um, you'd be, you be wise as the CEO of Facebook to censor it. That is the very thing we have been fighting against when it comes to free speech platforms. And it is revelatory and shocking for many Americans in the rest of the world to hear Mark Zuckerberg say that on Joe Rogan's podcast. But I'm finally happy he came out with the truth. But there's so much more behind it that needs to come out. And that's going to require a congressional investigation uh, once Congress switches gavels.
1: So a number of people, you know, including commentators on the Epoch Times platform are saying, you know, this is actually a form of election interference. Um, This is the FBI putting their finger on the scale uh, when it comes to the 2020 election. Um, and it's directly shown here. What do you think?
0: You know, I have a great friend at Epoch Times. His name is Jan Kellik. He taught me a valuable lesson. He said, Cash, there's a difference between rigging an election and election theft. And I've come to learn what, he, what you have meant by that, Jan. And, I couldn't, and, and you, are, you are 100% correct. Election rigging has occurred. And this is another example of it. This Hunter Biden laptop issue has been shown uh, to have altered the voting direction of many Americans. There's so many polls that have been now conducted that said if they knew that the Hunter Biden laptop story was not Russian disinformation, they would have voted for Donald Trump. And I remind the audience, you know, President Trump lost the election in three states and 50,000 votes. That's how the Electoral College works. That's not a big margin. And so when we say, and other people are now saying that the election was rigged, I firmly believe that. It's hard to define for people who are talking about a narrative such as election theft because the courts have yet to produce that data needed to support it. But when you talk about something such as rigging an election which is what we're talking about here, the data is in black and white and it did alter the outcome of an election. And you've seen President Trump take to Truth Social um, recently and talk about how the votes would have been different had this information come out truthfully, had the FBI and James Comey and DOJ not politicized and weaponized the FBI and gone to social media and TV and print journalism and said, this is an entire disinformation campaign from Russia. Don't believe it. Look at what's happened in America, is basically what President Trump's saying. Look at what happened to me as a, as a nominee for the presidency of the United States. He's saying he lost the election because of such disinfo- disinformation operations. And I agree with him.
1: So let's build on the Hunter Biden laptop whole scenario a little bit here. And so we have T-Bolt and we have this great reporting from Miranda Devine, I think that you, uh, that we've both been looking at. Um, essentially, Thibault basically seems to have hid the evidence that Tony Bobulinski provided to the FBI.
0: Right, before the election. And what what is now shown is Thibault's lies and corruption based on his arrogance. Apparently, arrogance seems to be the theme. The government gangster's arrogance is is what has driven them to perform their jobs unlawfully, hide their corruption, and when caught, lie again. So basically, Jan, we reported last week that I felt Tybalt is lying when he said he had nothing to do with the Hunter Biden laptop. You know, he was using cheeky legal language as saying, as a supervisor, he had no involvement in this and that. But now the truth comes out again. And what does it show? What we put on the screen for our viewers to read. Tybalt's own statement from his lawyers and then the credible reporting uh, from Tony Bobolinsky, that was given to the FBI and not only ignored, but Tybalt never called him back. And Bobolinsky specifically said through his lawyers, Tybalt was the lead supervisory agent on this case making decisions. I sat down with his um, subordinates for hours and hours and unloaded all of this information on him including connections between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and China and the money they received. Oh, and by the way, did you see that Hunter Biden recently paid $2 million in back taxes based on that financial gain from the very reporting that Miranda Devine and, and Bobolinsky are talking about? Um, it's just shocking, shocking stuff. It shows how Tybalt was not just randomly retired at 30 years and walked out with his friends. No, he is under investigation. If he's not, he should be. And he continues to lie just like Peter Strzok did when he left the FBI and wrote a book and got caught lying, writing that book about the facts in it. Tybalt is running the same arrogant circus. And the only people that are allowing it to stand up are the people in the mainstream media who participated in that disinformation campaign, along with the former high level government officials who signed that bogus letter about the Hunter Biden laptop.
1: So did James Comey actually, as Hillary Clinton claims, uh, exonerate her of having classified uh, emails on her unsecure email?
0: Hillary Clinton, no shock, is lying again to the world about her email scandal, her email conduct involving classified information. James Comey said with specificity, you, Hillary Clinton, have classified information on this laptop. You personally sent and received documents that you knew were classified. James Comey just in violation of DOJ regulations and probably the law, hijacked that decision from the Department of Justice and said, oh, we're not going to prosecute you uh, because we just think you are reckless. So when Hillary Clinton comes out and says, oh, the emails again, oh, yes, the emails again, because the precedent, the legal standard set by James Comey and the DOJ back then is the one that's going to be applied to the Trump case. You know, you talk about poetic justice and karma and other things like that. This is Hillary Clinton's full exposure, and I'm glad that we're talking about it because we are showing her lying just this past week to the world about what she did with her own classified emails and her knowledge of it. And as chance would have it, Hillary's lies are exposed by none other than James Comey himself. So I guess there is some poetic justice in the world. Cash, I think it's time for our shout out. Okay, Jan, this week's shout out goes to Lisa B. Thanks so much for your wonderful comments on our board at Cash's Corner. And we hope everybody keeps leaving us comments. Jan and I read them all the time. They're very encouraging. And they give us ideas for new shows and new episodes on Cash's Corner. So we are wrapping up here on our bi-coastal first ever Cash's Corner operation. But we'll see you next time on Cash's Corner.